Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my content, the one who is always going on walkabout, the one and only DJ. <laughs> yeah, where I found out that, um, you know, you can you can legally murder people in New York City as what? long as you hit them with your car and then tell police that you didn't realize you hit anybody at all. Wow, that's very Jack Mort of you. <laughs> so if you want to be a future pusher, move to New York. Or invite your friends to New York Do that I you would wanna... like to uh, take care of. And uh, just drive near their hotel a lot. Wow. Okay, so I guess my question is, how did you find this out? Were you nearly murdered? Well, I mean, we'll have to wait until the uh, after show to find out. Okay, good. You know what? You must... You, you, you're an an advanced podcaster that was that was a good segue (laughs) i was ready to just like blow it all right here in the intro oh no that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today rachel so i'm going to save that for later but uh you know that little snippet keep it in the back of your mind if you're really interested sign up for the patreon because uh we'd love to see you in the discord and talk to you anytime you're available all right, cool. Yeah, it's- so plan for this episode. We are going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation about the wolves of the or about wolves of the Kala. Uh, the prologue, which normally a prologue would not be a whole episode, but this one is there's a lot going on in it. So I figured we better just focus on that for one episode. Uh, and then we'll close out the show with our listener question. So before we do any of that dj can you please do me a solid and let our listeners know what our spoiler policy is up on this podcast like a large root child blowing moisture off of her lips like a horse we will (laughs) winnie i guess is what a horse does whenever we cross that line into the spoiler zone oh my god when am i gonna learn to not take a drink when you start to do the spoiler warning (laughs) i just almost like Ruined, spittled, spittled, like Diet Coke all over my computer. (laughs) It was real close today. (laughs) I forgot about the Ruined, too. So, like, starting this up with the prologue was great. I just was like, oh, yeah, I remember all of this. Mm -hmm. This is so good. And I'm I'm like you, Rachel. Like, uh, I remember loving uh the kala but like mm-hmm. wolves of the kala is something that's also sort of escaped in my mind except for vague you know technological feats and some other you know things that i don't want to talk about <laughs> but um, right but yeah like now getting back into it fresh it's like man i don't want to look around the corner because i'm afraid i'm gonna <laughs> spoil something for myself that right? i only <laughs> vaguely remember yeah, I, I realized because the last three books came out like boom, 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 that I blend them in my mind. Right. Like I have a vague memory of like Wolves of the Call. It was my favorite of the three, but I could not tell you every, like I can tell you kind of general things about it, mm-hmm. but I think most of it is gone, which is kind of exciting because, you know, it can feel like a little bit like new content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like the earlier books, like a lot of that stuff, as soon as we got to it, it's, you know, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, I kind of had a vague recollection of all of it. Right. But here is where we cross the line into like a completely yeah. different territory. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I don't know about you, but I feel like right away you can feel that these books are a little bit different than the ones that came before them. Oh, yeah. Stephen King had some time to, like, let that writing sauce stew and become, you know, a a flavorful uh, boutique of awesomeness as opposed to, like, early on where he was still kind of finding his way. Yeah. Well, I mean, he also had a pretty big life event happen between the end. Oh, yeah, that's of- right. Isn't this about the time he got hit by the... Uh- yeah. Okay. Yeah. So actually, let's talk about that. I want to talk about this a little bit because I feel like we can't really talk about this these these last three books without talking about what happened to Stephen King IRL because, I, I mean, it's very clear that they impact Mm-hmm. These books moving forward. <laughs> they impact. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> That's dark, Rachel. Yeah. Happy yeah. Halloween. <laughs> Spooky season, I told you. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, we'll talk more about it, I think, in the final book, how, it, you know, how yeah. much that this uh, affected him. But uh, this is the first of the books after it. So I want to talk a little bit about it. I think most people know the story about what happened to Stephen King. Uh, but in case there are some people in the audience who are unfamiliar with what went down. Uh, on It was on, and I, I don't know if this is when 19 started to matter or if this is why 19 starts to matter. I feel like 19 did come up earlier. Um, but... It was on January 19th, 1999, that Stephen King almost died. He was out walking near his home when a man driving a minivan was distracted by his dogs, who were, like, trying to get into a cooler, accidentally ran him down with his van. And he was obviously seriously injured. He was hospitalized for nearly a month. He had a collapsed right lung, multiple fractures in his right leg, a scalp laceration, and a broken hip. He had to undergo five surgeries at one point, um, five surgeries to save the leg, though at one point they thought that they were going to have to amputate it. Yeah. And they ended up doing this whole like halo thing around it. There's pictures of him like laid up with this thing on. and It is intense. And so obviously he almost died. That is one of those things that makes you do a real gut check about your, your, you know, Appreciating every moment and also just sort of like the legacy you leave. And had he died, he would have he would have left, you know, before he had finished essentially his magnum opus. This is he's talked about this being like his most important and personal work. Like, I mean, this is his Lord of the Rings or whatever. Right. And so what came out of this after he healed, because while he was healing, he really was in a lot of pain and could only write for like short periods of time. It's like when he ended up writing his memoir during this period. Uh, but once he was healed up and ready to write again, he just banged these things out quick, quick, quick. And um, and I think you can really feel that in this in this that he's he knows he wants to wrap this up because life is fleeting, and there is a sense of urgency to the this starting with this book throughout the rest of them um, that I think you really can feel even just at this prologue. Like we hit the ground running. We are world building. We are going into like a very clear narrative. Um, And so, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was the quotes at the front of this book. So yeah. Yeah. So last time I, I, we haven't really done that a lot except for last time it became very clear how, I mean, they've, it's always been 
an insight into the way that King is approaching the story and then also kind of like where his headspace is at and maybe some of the themes he's getting at. And I felt like we really felt that with the last one with like the Romeo and Juliet stuff. And mm-hmm. so I took a closer look at the quotes at the beginning of this book. Did you look at them? Uh, I did, but I've already forgotten them. So okay. I'm glad you brought them up again. <laughs> So the first one comes from the film Magnificent Seven. It's Steve McQueen, and he says, Mr. We Deal in Lead. So are you familiar with that movie? Uh, vaguely. This is like in the Dirty Harry, uh, Dirty Harry realm, right? Yeah. I think it's from like the 60s, so that's yeah. probably about right. Like so, Clint Eastwood and Big Guns and like all of the cop mm-hmm. movies that were early on, like later leading to Chip and Dale and some of those places. <laughs> Is it Chip and Dale, like the cop, the uh, motorcycle cops? Uh, I don't even know. Are you talking about Chips? Chip and no, Dale is a cartoon with the little like oh no yeah, yeah, yeah. That not, are the, solving not the crimes. squirrels. Yeah, I was yeah. like, wow, you this is an arc I did not expect to go. No, on. no, the, the the guys with the mustaches and the short yes, shorts and the chips. motorcycles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Chips, Eric not Estrada. Chip and Dale's. Whoops. <laughs> it started with with you know Clint Eastwood and ended up at the Rescue <laughs> Rangers. <laughs> And tailspin, apparently. Oh, man. <laughs> but, okay, so this is a movie from, I believe, the 60s. stars um, Steve McQueen, but also your boy, Yul Brynner, who you'll Ooh. remember as the robot from the Westworld movie. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. Um, and it is about, and tell me if this sounds familiar, a town that is being raided by some, like, local no good nicks who hire a group of hired, like basically employ a bunch of hired guns to protect them and to fight back this group. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that uh, seems like a cut out of the right chapter. Yeah. I I will say that not many people survive that movie and it's really grim in the end. So I don't know what that's about our future here in Culloden Sturgis, but that is definitely an influence in the, at least as far as we've seen so far, the setup for the plot of this book. So that's not the only quote I remember, though. Wasn't there like mm-hmm. two more or three there more? There are two more. Two more? Okay. So the next one is actually, it's, this one's interesting. Okay, so it's first comes smiles, then then lies, last is gunfire, roll into Shane of Gilead. And I went and I did, I mean, I did a search. Where's so, that quote from? Because I don't remember that. It is – I was wondering if it was in a later book. It sounds very Rolandy, right? So I went and I did like a search in each – I have all of the ebooks, right? And mm-hmm. I just did a search of them. It appears in none of them. What? So like Stephen King just made up a quote and then shoved it in here? Yes. Oh, that son so of a So this gun. is a origi- an original quote. So I know that he's talked about in the past that at some point his books begin to talk to him when he's writing Mm -hmm. them. And I wonder if this is something that, like, his mind Roland said to him that he's quoting. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Either way, it's, like, a really cool quote, though. That's one I kind of, like, hand-waved over and just thought, yeah, I'm sure he says it somewhere and I just forgot it. Nope. I searched all the books. The only place that it returned a result was in this section of this book. Wow, that's yeah. that's weird. Yep. The last one. Oh, so I guess my question to you is for that one. Do you have any any ideas of what you think that might mean? I mean, <laughs> okay. One more time with the quote. First comes smiles, then lies. Last is gunfire. So he's basically just describing um, his previous book in in that quote because, like, think about mm. it. He rolls into the town. And he gets these fake smiles from everyone. 
and then lies about what they're actually up to, and then finally gunfire. So that is, you know, um, a summarized version (laughs) of our last entire book, basically, right? Right. I mean, I wonder, I guess we'll see what happens also when they get to town. Right, because they're we haven't actually seen them yet in this book in this prologue. They're still outside of town, yeah. so I wonder if there will be a parallel. Because I, you know, there's obviously comparisons that are drawn between Magus and um, Colburn Sturges, but mm-hmm. we'll get into that. All right, the last one is um, it's a little bit longer. It's the blood that flows through you flows through me. When I look in any mirror, it's your face I see. Take my hand, lean on me. We're almost free, wandering boy. By Rodney Crowell. So I looked this up, and it is a song. Okay. Uh, It's called Wandering Boy. And it's about twin brothers. One of them is bisexual. The other one is a bigot. The bisexual brother runs away and becomes um, a sex worker. Mm -hmm. But it's like the 80s, and so he contracts HIV and comes back. And this is sort of like... The other brother's realization of, like, losing his brother and, like, loving his brother. Very sad. Hmm. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is that it's about twins. And right away, that's a big theme that is happening in the book, right? Because we find out that almost everybody in this town is a twin. Well, at least Uh, for six generations. Right. Well, for at least six generations. Exactly. The other part of it, though, I feel a little weird about is the whole idea of, like, one of the twins going away and coming back dying or, you know, impacted by whatever happened to them out in the world. Well, that kind of falls on the whole room thing, right? Yeah. It just feels a little stigmatizing. But I also understand that this book came out in the 2000s. We did not have the same kind of, like, therapeutics we have now for HIV. But still, I was like... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a little awkward that we're calling like we're we're comparing comparing people someone with hiv to someone who's ruined is yeah, yeah. great mm. <laughs> so, but i do think there is the i mean i think maybe we'll reference back to this maybe my opinion of what he's getting at here will change as we get deeper into the book but i don't know any thoughts uh that one like i'd that quote didn't mean anything to me at all until you just explained it. So mm-hmm. as soon as you explained it, you're like, whoa, whoa, okay. Yeah, definitely Stephen King really hitting us hard with that like metaphorical hammer here. Um, <laughs> so th- that one's interesting. Um, so let's get into the actual episode because, or the actual chapter because I feel like this is a good – yeah, there's I a lot of stuff going on here. into this. Yes. Yeah. So uh, first, folks, close your eyes and imagine Stephen King kind of narrating into existence this kala. And like uh, you can kind of A-B a kala with sort of a town or village, so to speak. It is like almost a – you mentioned um, this is Stephen King's uh, you know, Lord of the Rings. Like it's almost like a Hobbit-esque village where you have like – Greenlands and farmers and you know it's kind of an agrarian society and we're introduced to Tian Jaffords who basically is like one of the luckier poor farmers where his family owns three plots of land mm-hmm. and two of them are pretty good and like well to do and then the other one <laughs> is the plot called the son of a bitch so good. <laughs> which is it's like it doesn't even mince words it's 
it's this sort of like rocky, dangerous uh, piece of land that has a lot of mysterious holes in it. In fact, some of those holes have been filled with, you know, uh, uh, giant bee or wasp type creatures. It had lots of yeah. problems. The family muty wasp with yeah, stingers the size of nails. Ooh. Yeah, and and we get like a hint of this Andy character that helped him find it and take care of it because Andy doesn't care about wasps. It isn't afraid of them. But we don't know much more about Andy yet. We also kind of get this um, almost obsession in the Jaffords family of this son of a bitch land. Yeah. In, in which um, his mother and his father and his grandfather before that each believed that they could be the one to find the crop that grows well here. Mm-hmm. And and Tien has fallen for this same madness where he has like a secret trunk hidden away at his house that has, you know, a thousand seeds that he spent a pretty pity on to yeah. try and glow, grow on this place. And as we're getting this, like, sort of insight into the family, this land ownership and the societal description, we're also sort of realizing that he's plowing the field with his sister, Tia. And his sister, Tia, um, is described kind of as this, like, large, seven, eight-foot-tall woman, huge. And we we get painted this picture of basically – Tia almost being a beast of burden, not to the point where she can't understand anything, but to where she's just a a large sort of innocent creature as opposed to a regular person pulling this (laughs) plow through the field Uh, to the point where um, we finally get is slightly introduced to uh, Andy. He pops in as a seven-foot-tall robot, and Tia gets confused, sees him, and pulls the wrong way and nearly chokes her brother to death with these um, reins and this uh, sort of um, harness, I suppose, that he's adapted for Tia to pull this uh, uh, plow through the field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as he's coming coming through, like, uh, uh, getting the harness out from around him and, and unstrangling, Tia's kind of just like, oh, look, Andy, <laughs> and kind of just points, like, happily and sort of um, innocently at him, not even realizing that she had nearly ended the life of her yeah. brother. <laughs> yeah. And her brother, uh, to his credit, he... He's not mad. You can't get mad at someone like Tia because getting mad at her is like getting mad at a force of nature for for blowing on you. He's just like, you know, <laughs> I'd rip the useless tits off of you if you were to do that to me. And like, but also then he like has a fondness because it's his sister. So it's yeah, it's sort of this thing where you start to understand what Stephen King describes as root. Um, these these kids are taken away the spark is taken away from them and they grow to be massive creatures but they they don't evolve past you know maybe the toddler intelligence at mm-hmm. best mm-hmm. and so tia as this sort of human plow um is is there she stops sees andy and andy we get to find out is this sort of like skinny tall mechanical uh delivery message robot mm-hmm. and one of the last robots that anybody remembers or is seen working in in this village or this area and he's been working for years 
And what we learn about Andy is that on top of delivering and possibly um, losing messages, he loves to tell fortunes and he also is one useful task, which is to report when the wolves are coming to Thunderclap. Mm -hmm. We got our first mention of the wolves. And so Andy basically comes in and like, hey, ho, neighbor, <laughs> mm -hmm. you want to know, you'll make two choices. One of them will be good. The other one will be bad. Ha ha, fortune. And then, <laughs> and then like, he's like, no, but also uh, the wolves are coming. Um, you have the rise and fall of a moon. So roughly 30 or 31 days, give or take. We kind of find out that they don't really have a calendar system per se, but they have awareness of a calendar system that once existed and clocks that once existed. Um and and then Andy kind of like tells him this information, wants to tell him some other stuff about strangers showing up, and and Tian is is so upset and distraught by this the fact that uh, Andy's brought this news of the wolves coming from Thunderclap that he kind of shoes Andy off. And we actually Stephen King even in this early introduction to Andy gives us sort of some insight into Andy. Yeah, has, he's a robot and he has a straight face, so like it's hard to tell what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. But in this moment where Stephen King gives us some insight, Andy is like, "Well, I'm going to go talk to the old man because at least he never gets mad at me for bringing news, and he'll want to know about the things I have to say and the strangers." <laughs> and so you already. Even from this like little glimpse of Andy and this little glimpse of Tian Jafford, you you get this um, painted world of a robot that wishes he got some more respect and a guy that is working hard on the land to just maintain for his family. Yeah, and then also this like travesty of what the wolves do to their children, uh, all in this like almost picturesque you imagine the sun sort of setting as they mm -hmm. like decide to you know leave the farm early and head back to the house now mm -hmm. i've kind of talked about this a little bit um the strangers i did mention and they are coming along the path of the beam yeah um so maybe rachel you've got uh you got four stars here what did i miss i mean i you did a pretty good uh job i just you know me i like to look at this like symbolism and psychology of things so first of all the son of a bitch fields i think hilarious name it tells you <laughs> everything about what kind of feelings experiencing that field uh conjures up and then you hear like how horrific it is and you're like yeah that's a real son of a bitch but i also think the description of of it has some symbolic meaning like all of this the loose ground the the all the the holes in it and the monsters that are inside it feel very representative of the world as it is right now with all of its thinnies and its muties and its tendency to just like knock your legs out from underneath you mm -hmm. so i thought that was good symbolism that was worth mentioning uh also we get our introduction to t and jaffords and it's interesting that he's gonna kind of become as this prologue continues like i do feel like we kind of go on an emotional arc with him right because we the first things we hear about him is that he's doing this fool's errand that everybody has done before him that he's using his disabled sister as a beast of burden which is super messed up um and he like you know says some kind of awful things to her he says them in anger at first, and then he says awful things, but in a sweet voice, knowing that she doesn't understand the meaning of the specific words. And that's when we kind of start to have a little bit of a turn with him. But it, it's an interesting way to introduce a character that we're going to 
come to identify with by the end of the prologue. Well, and there's a moment where uh, Tia is running back to the farm and uh, Tian is noticing that she's just missing every hole instinctively. Like she has a feel for it. And then he quotes his father, rest his soul. uh, (laughs) It's like, that's one big piece of meat, you know, emotions. (laughs) And it's such a, like, it's such a strange thing. And like, even for a second, you think Stephen King's going to make it weird. Cause he like kind of leans up against Tia as she's like mashed potatoes. And gravy? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. sure, why the hell not? And and he's like, he, he leans up against her and he's like, and I smelled her. And then the smell is like, it's just a smell of like a clean working person doing hard work, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was kinder in that moment than I was expecting. I At some point, I don't, not today, <laughs> I don't have the energy for it. But at some point, I kind of want to talk about the way that Steve talks about, Stephen King talks about like uh, intellectually disabled characters. Yeah, it's been a theme through the 90s and early aughts, and he's yeah. got a thing going. But he has a little bit of like a magical disabled person kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. It's like again a thing where I feel like he comes from a good place, but you're just like, oh, Steven, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other person we meet, like you said, is Andy, and he's introduced with his large and meaningless smile. Which is a little sinister. Add to that the fact that he's from North Central Positronics, our first mention in a while. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yep. And and I I don't, I can't remember what his full arc is. But I will say my first impression of Andy on this reread makes me a little sus. Because one thing we know about North Central Positronics is that that tech tends to be corrupted. If you think about Blaine, he was our last sort of AI type character, and he was cuckoo banana pants. So um, I wonder if we're meant to, and I don't know if this is a misdirect, because I genuinely don't remember much of this book, uh, as I'm discovering. (laughs) Um, I wonder if it's a misdirect, but right away, my sort of instincts were like, "Mm, I don't know about Andy. Um, Because also like Blaine, he has sort of like a thing that he's obsessed with. Andy is to horoscopes as Blaine is to riddles. Where oh, he, okay. All he wants to do is tell horoscopes, which is interesting. The other thing that's interesting is that Tian says like the town pretty much dismisses everything he says. But one of his horoscopes is, I see bright coins and a beautiful dark lady. Oh. And we know, at not at this point, but by the end of the prologue that our... Um, gunslingers are on the way and there is going to be some attempt to purchase their services as gunslingers. So there's appears to be at least some accuracy to his, his predictions. Hmm. Interesting. And then finally, (laughs) his other function is to know that the wolves are coming. And that also makes me suspicious because how and why does he know? We know that he's accurate. He knows that they're coming. Is he, I have my theories about why he knows, and I have my theories about what his true function is in Colibrin Sturges. But in case it's a spoiler, I won't say it. Well, we also kind of uh, find out from Andy that he's a wanderer. So he wanders up and down and all the way mm-hmm. to the fork of, you know, whatever their furthest destination is. And Andy even explains that, you know, a great green palace <laughs> showed yes. up. 
And then it uh, also just as mysteriously disappeared. Okay, so uh, basically, um, Tia and uh, Tian roll back into the uh, the farm homestead early, and Zalia's out with the kids, taking care of them. She's got a set of twins out there uh, running around, as well as we find out a rare singleton. Um, we also get like a little bit of insight into Tian uh, some more and his relationship with his. Uh, wife, we we find out that um, Tian won her over by being a little smarter than the rest of the folks around that area by being able to actually write and count numbers. And even though Zilia couldn't read the stuff that he wrote, he won her over by writing like a sweet note, mm-hmm. you know, on a piece of paper. So uh, that basically foreshadows that Tian is a thinker in, in regards to these other play, uh, other uh, associates and people in, in this call and, and that he's kind of got something going on. We also kind of get a little bit more of an understanding of the root versus the not root with this, because what happens is Tia runs in and kind of like washes off naked <laughs> in this, mm-hmm. you know, horse trough and there's some root boys just kind of blandly staring at her with no excitement whatsoever. We also find out that, you know, having twins is normal, but having a singleton is pretty rare. Do you think the singletons just absorbed their other twin in utero? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I was reading it. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe, or maybe they're just chimera or something like that. We're like, mm. you know. I took the leg and better arm from my brother, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, and then, so, basically, uh, when when Zelia finally figures out that, um, that he's home early, she kind of already knows what's going on because there's, in this farming community, you don't come home early. You get your work done, and then you come home. And so it immediately, like, kind of sets her on edge. And she realizes that probably... Andy came by and told them, you know, that <laughs> that the wolves are coming and they have the twins. And we start to understand that what that means is that one of these twins will be taken. And when it's taken, it will go to, you know, uh, thunderclap, thunderclap. Yeah. And then <laughs> when it comes back, it won't be the same anymore. It'll Which, be by right. the way. I was like, <gasps> thunderclap. We're already a thunderclap. Yeah, I know. Right. And then um, so you know, uh, Tian basically is discussing this with his wife. His grandpa's there um, sitting in a chair, kind of hanging out. And he's like, maybe it doesn't have to happen this time. You know, maybe we right. can do something about it. And while his wife is is completely terrified that um, this is happening, this sort of defiance and intellect that she knows her husband to have kind of creates a spark in her chest to be like, well, maybe this could happen. Right, And then Grandpa chimes in and is like, you could rile up a bunch of drunk people and something might happen, but if you try to do that with a bunch of sober people, (laughs) good luck, buddy. Right. Grandpa's no help. And like, he he uses a term, I believe it's killing, and in this case, like, killing is as a descriptor of of actually killing, but it's a descriptor of, like, an insult to a person. So... Mm -hmm. And somehow the word killing has kind of gone from maybe an aspect of murdering to a, a way of describing a person as dumb or awful or bad or what have you. 
but the grandpa sort of uses it in this case not to be mean to his son or you know uh, son-in-law and depending i don't remember what the relationship is he uses it as a term to like catch their attention and be like you know if you screw this up that's what you are mm-hmm. and so that like sets this foreboding moment where he, he's like okay i'm gonna put my plan into action i'm gonna go get the what is it, the um, um, uh, eponymous, eponymous, am I saying that right? The feather? Uh, it's a pop, hold on, opopanax. A pop, a popanax feather, and send it out. And so as soon as I heard, like, if Stephen, Stephen King says, like, a feather, and that's why I put it in, Rachel, because I was reading your notes and I didn't see it there. Mm. And I was like, well, what? Wait, huh? <laughs> and, and so then I had to go actually, like, look that up because otherwise Stephen King would, would just have sent the feather around. So yeah. if you uh, go Google Feninic, um, whatever I'm trying to pronounce here. A pop a pop Let's see. Uh, I had, and I actually had it up, but then I turned it or I took it down. So now I'm stalling while I try to find it. again. <laughs> I, 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 I pulled it up too. Cause I thought you had highlighted it to be like, tell me what this means. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Tell me what it means. Cause I already lost the page that I was trying to bookmark. So what I'm, it'll be interesting to see what, if you found something differently, because I couldn't really find a ton of things. What I did find out is that it's actually in IRL. It is a, like an herb that grows in the middle East and like in, um, uh, the Mediterranean and Northern Africa. Uh, it's used like for medicinal purposes and it's also used as a part of a lot of perfumes. It, it's in the Bible. It's in J- James Joyce's Ulysses. It's it's all over the place, right? Um, but Stephen King uses it a little bit differently. He uh, he uses it here, obviously, as the Pope and the uh, Popanax feather, but mm-hmm. also it appears in Black House, which is um, a very much it's very tied into the 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 multiverse like very closely to Mm -hmm. the dark tower there's because you know like it's the sequel to um the talisman which has the territories and yeah yeah right um and and there it's kind of used as a nonsense word but kind of to mean the number 19 right Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, uh, it is used similar way as the number 19 in the Dark Tower series. Did you yes, know a strange okay. event or stories? Yes. yes That's yes, what yes, I found. Yes. And so I, I looked that up. I should have memorized it before I mentioned it and underlined no it. But thank you, Rachel, for filling that in. That That's what I was aiming towards. Is <laughs> Teamwork, babe. Yeah, so we we talked about Stephen King's accident and then the, the significance of mm-hmm. number 19 mm-hmm. and then this sort of synonym for the number 19 in that feather that he's passing around to the group. And then there's some other symbolism too. And this isn't specifically spelled out in this uh, opening, but if you start searching around a little bit, you'll find that when they send that feather out, they send it's actually sent out with six children in order to underscore the importance of oh, the meeting yeah. that's coming. So uh, that's that was an extra interesting bit of symbolism. And I, right, I just thought it's it was, a one feather and a six, which is an upside down nine. Yep, exactly. 19. Now you're picking up exactly what I'm putting down. Thank you. <laughs> I have not. I had not gone there, but I love it. <laughs> yes, yes. You were checking the boxes that I was actually about to. So awesome, Rachel. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they they send this feather around, and basically what the feather is to do is to gather up the men of all of these other households and bring them to a meeting. And at first they're like, will they come? Like, of course they'll come because, you know, 
it's the generational time of of the wolves coming to collect the children, <laughs> and we something must be done, and and so all of those things kind of push back into this like Stephen King got in an accident, and yeah, here we yeah. are again. Uh huh. Oh, I love. That. I sorry, I, my mind my mind is getting blown over the whole six like the one in six thing. <laughs> oh no, that's <laughs> I think this great. It's gonna yeah, happen that's... to be a lot in the next few books. Every time I was you so point happy out a 19, when you I'm like... gonna be like, oh my god. When you pulled that out, I, that's exactly where I was going. It's like one in six. Yep. That is wild. That is so interesting. Oh, Stephen King, you got me again. Uh, so I- anything I missed or anything you want to circle back to? Um, I would say, okay. So we haven't gotten to the meeting, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. No, so, no. I mean, I would just say that I think it's interesting that we had our introduction to Tian and we saw this one side of him out in the field. But then right away we see a new side of Tian where he is this loving and protective father. And that even though he expresses it in a weird way with his sister, he's also a loving sister. Um, And I think we'll get into it more in the next section. But I started to kind of see how the, the, the way that this town lives where how half of its population essentially are these root children and the other half are the survivors and they're like their twin. Right. And like what psychologically that does to a town, I think is interesting. And I want to be, it's something I'm going to be thinking about as we go through this because um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I just imagine that scenario. Like how does that impact culture? Well, there's a moment with grandpa where we get a glimpse into that. And grandpa mm-hmm. is like, like, it could have been me, you know, I could, could have been closer to the road and they would have mm-hmm. taken me instead, you know, bless the Lord or bless the man, Jesus. And then this is also where we kind of get a glimpse. Like we heard about the old man and then now we realize that like, okay, there's actually some Bible thumpers running around this mm-hmm. town because, you know, uh, bless the man, Jesus. And there's a moment too, where Tian, um, he curses, but his curse is like, uh, bless the god jesus or something to that nature and then he's like and some old guy told me once that that, that's two in the same thing you know Mm -hmm. we're we're laying the the groundworks for what's coming next right like i said we'll get into this more but i just keep thinking about like what it means to be someone a survivor and not only to be a survivor but to be to have that constant daily reminder and responsibility for the other person who did not survive the incident like Mm -hmm. the walking wounded is is it's interesting. It's interesting. The other thing I was thinking about is how he, he really makes a point of pointing out how intelligent the Tian is, that he's able to do math and able to write in what appears to be a community that has no education whatsoever. So presumably he's self-taught. And whereas everybody else is very um, comfortable in their ignorance or at least accepting of ignorance. And so again, I kept thinking about livestock and how I wondered if there's more to how the children are selected, if it's a way to kind of keep the intelligence sort of middle of the road. Yes. You know, like you don't want super smart sheep that are going to know how to escape. Or feel brave enough to escape. Well, that's interesting. So there's a moment where Azelia is comparing her two children. Yes. And that's one of a good the point. children is like smart and manipulative, mm-hmm. but the other child is sort of passive Docile. and obedient and yes. like does what he's supposed to do. 
So if the wolves come and take her, take Hedda instead of Hedden, I feel validated in my theory here. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, but that does sort of get underlined by the two children's comparison. So yeah, you're and right. also Tian talks about how his sister was really smart when she was young. Oh yeah, okay, you're right. So and I then don't know. like came back as kind of a shell. I don't know. These are these are my conspiracy theories are ticking away over here. <laughs> All right, let's get to the town meeting because this is where it really gets good. All right, so uh, uh, Tian's basically gathered everybody. So this feather's gone around and come back, and we kind of get this sort of surreal picture of. First, let's talk about the Manny. So they're like this yeah. sort of like walk. We've we've heard about them before. They can walk mm-hmm. between worlds. Um, they're sort of their own pseudo religion slash like way of life that maybe I guess sort of falls into like an old timey type of thing. Um, when they come in their horses and, and we find out too, that like the world hasn't moved on the same way here. So some of the stock is a little threaded, but some of it's a lot better. Uh, guns aren't quite as solid as they are in some of the other, um, uh, other regions but they they have some uh the manny are riding in on horses one of them has like a lumpy tumor <laughs> that's a pink piece of flesh protruding from its mm. back and mm. the other one has some like googly eyes that are a little messed up um and it's also weird because i guess the ranchers as a whole don't see these folks very often maybe onesie twosies and now they're seeing all of them we also kind of get an idea of how important this meeting is their town hall where everybody's meetings like maybe seats 90 and mm-hmm. only the important men are, are called in to have yeah. this discussion. Uh-huh. And that represents like 30 of the 90 seats. So you figure if the whole town got together, including children and uh, uh, women folk, this is basically the, the whole herd of men getting together to have this discussion herd of men exactly yep, exactly yeah. and, and after i caught on to your uh, little thing about <laughs> livestock i was trying to use the correct metaphors um so basically this turns into a, a discussion where tian sort of got like a game plan of how he can win these people over to his proposed or possible proposition of you know fighting back and this doesn't go the way you, you think it should, but it's pretty interesting nonetheless. Um, people sort of like batter around different ideas. One of the Manny folk uh, brings up the possibility of, you know, ha- having the best day of their lives with their kids and then, you know, uh, leaving them dead outside so that they're not available to be yeah. taken, which is sort of like that biblical um, firstborn thing from the I mean, Bible. They kind of reference it. Right? Yeah, exactly. They directly. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's it's like how the lyrics for "Hey Jude" are a little bit twisted. Mm-hmm. There's a version of the Passover that they quote as justification for killing all the children in town. Um, that yeah. that, but with like slightly different uh, spellings and things like that. Yeah, and and so like a lot of the people in town, like there's people that are like, I would fight if I thought we could, but we can't. Um, and then Tian finally like seizes opportunity and sort of jumps up and does this sort of tree metaphor where he's like, you know, you can carve on a tree a little bit and it'll grow back. You can cut off a couple branches and it'll grow back. But if you start stealing the heartwood, uh, over and over again, eventually the leaves will turn brown and the tree will die. Yeah. (laughs) 
and you know he he uses that as like a a synonym to their own souls slowly deteriorating as these kids are taken away and eventually everybody will just be root from the mm-hmm. emotional damage of this impact right. on the town right. and as he thinks he's almost got it um w- one of the other more uh rich farmers like and uh kind of like worm tongue-ish guy jump in yeah. like yeah you done and he's like well i I, I guess I am. I wasn't expecting this guy. And they're like, let's be reasonable, everyone. You know, like, right. I do fine and you'll do fine. And like, we'll still have our farms and one kid. And like, what are we going to do to fight him? <laughs> and, and then we find out that this rich guy and um, uh, he, he has a couple of kids, but they're both singletons. So mm-hmm. he doesn't really have a, a pony in the race, so to speak, because yeah. You know, nothing's going to happen to his kids. He doesn't have twins. It's all the other kids. And right. there's a moment where, like, they kind of do he's a show. Oh, never known this fear. Yeah, never exactly. Had never had to worry about it. And even, like, with TN's one singleton, people are jealous in town of that because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, like, a couple of your kids will get taken and go root, but at least one of them is going to be normal, normal for for all eternity. You don't have to worry about it, Right. Right. And so those are some kind of like gameplay that's going on in the town. And then you you sort of get this moment where um, Stephen King describes rich people and their their sort of like situational awareness of the people around them that aren't rich or aren't well off. And And there's quiet resentment that they're blissfully unaware of. Yep, exactly. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. okay, so this rich guy is like sent a couple of his hands to help him raise a barn or like whatever. And like, okay, fine. You nod at him and maybe you send a a cow back his direction as a thank you. But that doesn't mean that people don't have a little bit of resentment for uh, uh, someone like this. And so as as Tien is trying to sort of argue back a little bit, um, they demand the feather back from him and the whole town sort of like starts stomping and like stomps this guy out of the conversation for a moment to kind of let it continue on and then enters the old man yeah sneaks in the back ah yeah this is this is great so i I will say you've mostly covered the manny situation but i mean after hearing just like little bits and pieces about them it's quite the introduction that they're like we think you should kill all the children yeah exactly (laughs) that's a bold move it also is interesting it shows you some dynamics right in the town and we'll see even more of this once pear calhoun starts talking but Mm -hmm. they hold the manny in an interesting level of regard right where seeing them come in shows the seriousness of what this meeting is about. And also they're allowed to get up and say, let's kill half all your children. And people don't drive them out of the pews. No, they're like, we'll have that talk. If, if you let it, you know, it's like, oh, and he's like, well, why don't we just all kill themselves? He's like, well, we'll have that conversation. We're willing to talk about that. I was like, <laughs> damn, the manis are rough. Uh, so that was interesting. The other thing that we did kind of breeze past was, kind of that we get some more world building here and the way that the world building is done is through the comparison between Culbrin Sturges and Magus right oh okay okay yeah because I mean obviously we should have gone direct or initially it would have been expected that you would go from Wizard and Glass directly into this right Mm -hmm. and so there's some obvious similarities right it's this rural sort of agrarian 
farming community. But Stephen King is takes pains to really draw some lines between the differences in these places. Like for one thing, the festivals exist, like the Reaping Day, but it's not the big deal that it is back in in Magus because they have bigger issues. They don't have time for festivals. Like they've got to like raise these kids that they're going to get to, you know, like wolves are coming and they have these hard scrabble lives on their farms. The other difference is, is that one of the things that we know about Hambry is that those horses are well threaded. I mean, they're beautiful, healthy mm-hmm. animals. Here, people are riding in on horse and on donkeys and and uh, horses with three eyes and weird flabby things coming out of their pylons coming out of their back. Um, and so, I think he wants to make a clear distinction that life is very different. These are not the people of Hambry that we're dealing with. Those people, in comparison, are soft um, in terms of like the kind of lives that they lead. Whereas these people, things are weird. Time is soft. I mean, even more so perhaps here. Muties are an everyday problem of life, whether it be the animal or livestock or it, or just like the insects in their fields, right? It's just a different – It's in-world is a very different place than mid-world. And well, that's even reflected in like – the uh, root kids like hanging out on the stairs, you know, as yeah. everybody's walking in and the old man that's like, no, it was definitely 23 years when my sister was taken. I marked it every year on the tree until right. now. And I have the exact mm-hmm. time. Yes, you're, you're totally right. Like they don't even have like a really clear calendar. I mean, they have seasons, but I don't think they have, like you said, I don't think they have really specific dates. Nobody's tracking it, which is interesting, right? Because they're farmers. So they should be tracking the seasons really closely because it's so tied into their lifestyle. Well, as a farmer, you track the seasons, but you don't track the years in relation to the seasons. I guess that's true. Because when a season starts to turn, that's the important part, not, you know, what year Mm -hmm. it is when it turns. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing is we get some more information about the wolves. You mm-hmm. know, we, we hear that they're not human. So they're not just sort of like a band of bandits. Like there's something else going on here and that they carry either some sort of magical device or they have some really advanced technology. Um, again. So I like, wanted to ask you about that, actually. Like there's a moment where like uh, the I think is it Tafford who's like talking and he he's like, what what weapon is that again? And, like, someone yeah. yells a uh, sneech. Sneeches and buzz bombs. Buzz and- bombs. And, like, I-, I wanted to know because, you know, I'm familiar with sneeches in, like, Harry Potter world. Yeah. And that's, like, a flying ball. Mm-hmm. And then the description is, like, a flying ball of some kind that can, like, strip you to the bone. Is, yeah. is there some, like, old English or other reference to sneech that I should know about? Ooh, that- that's a good question. Because I, I was thinking about that. As they mentioned, and I'm like, I, you know, I've heard Sneech more than once in my life as well, a description. Well, there's a Dr. Seuss book called The Sneeches. Yeah, but I want to – I feel like maybe it means something that we don't think it means or means something more. Maybe it has a different context. Well, I mean the Sneeches in in that context represent discrimination. Um. So the moral of that story is the importance of not conforming. 
The clan this involves a clan of imaginary creatures all striving to ascend through the ranks of class, class and social status. Okay, that part I don't know really works, but not conforming is certainly something that's happening in this meeting. Um. Okay, so today I learned that the Sneech from Harry Potter series was also used in the Sne- uh, Stephen King Dark Tower series. <laughs> I mean, to me, they sound almost like the phantasm balls. Yeah, exactly. So apparently um, the Harry Potter books in the Flying Sneech mm-hmm. was, um, was an homage to Stephen King's use of the word sneeches. I bet she regrets that now that they're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> Team Stephen King. Anyway, um yeah, so so I think that's interesting, right? We find out that they're not human. They have either magic or some kind of advanced technology and that they only take the children prior to puberty. Why I don't know, but I feel like that's an important in- bit of information. But I will say there's some in- other enticing tidbits in text in this chapter about thunderclap and you don't know how much of this is Is rumor or how much of it's true yes like yeah how much of it is like local urban legend and how much is it true we know we they think that there are vampires there they think that the they they're all like freaked out by the eye which we know is the sigil of crimson king so probably is really a thing Mm -hmm. but the other thing they reference they don't call them this but they reference the tahin yeah so that also, because we know that Tahina are a thing, makes me think that's legit. I don't know about vampires. The vampire thing may be a pair Callahan thing. Like a reference to like be like, pay attention because we're about to meet Pear Callahan and he's all connected to vampires, right? So So yeah, anyway, uh anything else in this section? Oh, just Callahan gets a great introduction. You know? They're there are with the cross scar on his forehead right well he also stands because you're like hearing these people like like you said like worm tonguing right and just being mm-hmm. cowards and then he stands up and he says exactly what you as the reader are thinking and he just calls them out all as cowards it's just a really great way to, if we're meant to be endeared to para callahan i don't know that they could he could have done it in a more um efficient and effective way than to call out this like weasel tongued coward yeah, and when he jumps in, like, it's basically, and I guess we can keep moving because this sort of blends together to the end of this pro- uh, prologue. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, Callahan, when he, he gets in there, he's like, you know, um, screw screw your stupid feather. <laughs> this is the guy right here. You know, I've made choices in my life where, like, one small poor choice led to another small poor choice and it cascaded mm-hmm. into this thing, you know, a- as reference to Salem's Lot. <laughs> and. Right. And this guy is right. You know, you're right. And and Tian, like, gets that bolster that he needed. And then when they try to shoot him down, we're like, I'm not a fighter. You a fighter? No, I'm not a fighter. We're just a bunch of farmers here. Callahan immediately is like, listen, guys, there is a set of gunslingers coming up along the path of the beam, and we can hire them to do this job. And, mm-hmm. and like everybody's like ah posh posh whatever you're making this up and like he's like i don't have to tell you to believe me we can form a party and go out there and check on it ourselves in fact <laughs> why don't you go ahead and come along with me so you can't naysay this <laughs> it, it sort of like turns into this this moment and then like we get this internal dialogue from callahan where he's like 
and he's describing their apprentice as like stronger than every you know like than anything you've ever seen and he's just an apprentice and then like fails to mention that you know they have a, a girl in their midst uh-huh. Um, which tells you a lot more about Caliber and Sturges. There's a reason there are no women in this meeting hall. Yep, exactly. And like, <gasps> sort of like cherry picks the information he's feeding them, even though he is feeding them legit information to keep them sort of in the dark. And 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 then we get this moment where like, um, he's like, and maybe they'll take the thing under my floorboards because it's starting to come awake and right. it's haunting me. And you're like, uh-huh. oh shit. That sounds interesting. I'd like to know more about that. <laughs> yep. And then, like, they ask how they could possibly pay him. And, like, on the vocalized side, he's like, I got books. You know, paper's important. It's expensive. And then right. he also sort of paints this um, picture of gunslingers that we find out about that is is sort of them as duty-bound folks to help the people in need. Right. And whether that's true or not, um, the that gives you an idea of the superstition of the gunslinger that has right. sort of always been pronounced in these communities and continues to like propagate itself for many mm-hmm. years, even after people believe that there are no more gunslingers. Yeah, everyone reacts to the word gunslinger and the you know reference to the line of Eld mm-hmm. in a way that shows just like how much way it still has but it it's a it's like a mythical sway they don't dare to dream that it's a real thing because we also find out that at least to them uh it's been a thousand years since gilead has been in the dust yeah but so, time is soft so we don't but know time like- is soft right right and that's that's what's so smart about stephen king's time is soft thing is he can hand wave anything he, he can either be <laughs> tell and he can also tell you things like Maybe it has been a thousand years, or maybe it hasn't, and time is just soft, and it's even softer because they're right by Thunderclap. But you can't, like, call it a plot hole <laughs> because time I'm is soft. soft. <laughs> so it's pretty clever. There's also a reference about how Ka has brought them there just in time, and we get our Magnificent Seven set up. So do we want to talk about Jerusalem's lot? Or I'm guessing they're going to get into this later, right? I think so. So um, if you're already familiar with that book, then you're golden. You kind of know what's coming. If you don't, then save the surprise for when we get to that point. Because uh, Callahan will be a somewhat crucial character throughout this. Okay. I will say and I won't get into his backstory then. I, I wrote some of it down because I needed a refresh and went and like, reread a summary of the lot, of Jerusalem's lot. But I will say there have been a lot of sort of subtle mentions of other places. Like we get a mention of characters from uh, Eyes of the Dragon or, you know, Randall Flagg obviously is someone who kind of moves around between these things. But he is an exception. This is the first like Kong other than. I guess loosely that the co- sort of concrete um, connection to another book where like a, a whole ass character from another book is now in this. Book. Well, we've even heard mention of him in previous dark tower books. Have so we? Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Oh, um, interesting. I'm pretty sure. Uh, 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 they, they don't mention him by name, but they mention like a, a preacher that is, uh, you know, a shame. That, that is sounds gay. familiar. Yeah. And I don't, 
recall the context of said statement I'm making now definitively, but it sounds (laughs) right. I feel like it's legit. (laughs) And so I'm going to just stand on it and say it is. Um, Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. Get in the Facebook thread and and march (laughs) with torches at me if I'm incorrect. This this seems to be the case, and I remember sort of discussing this previously. I want to say it's in the drawing of the three. Yeah, um, I would but, have guessed. Uh, yeah, no, that that sounds right. But I, it's it's been a minute since I've absorbed that information. So as yeah. Rachel mentioned, uh, I am a sieve. <laughs> I'm a FIFO buffer, a so to speak. Things that go in and something <sighs> must be removed in order to make room. Seriously. I wish that. I wish it was because more things were coming in. I think it's just all going. It's all <laughs> sands through the hourglass of time. All right. So what did you think of this chapter? Oh, this is good. This this is yeah. a, a hot start and makes me sort of start to remember why yeah. I liked this book. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've done this multiple times where we're like, what's your favorite book? Well, a lot of times that's tainted by the books you've just finished. Right. And so then you sort of like neglect to really think hard on the books that are after that. So as we hit this now, I'm realizing that there's a lot of good stuff in here and remembering, you know, the knowledge leaves are starting to shake off of the tree. It's fall. (laughs) And uh, so this is a, this is looking good. I'm excited for it. Rachel, what about you? Oh yeah, for sure. This has a lot of the things I love about this franchise like all in one chapter mm-hmm. right we like, got robots and farmers we've and- got weird western we've got ro- like references to the north central positronics we've got sort of magical weird mysterious things we've got excellent world building we've got like super fucked up psychology all this you know it's got me thinking it on those paths we haven't and roland we haven't even seen roland and eddie and Susanna and jake no, and no, like, you're already like this is a good story like yeah. just tell me about more about these guys because it has that flavor that i associate with the dark tower and i know the dark tower changes genres a lot and has lots of different flavors but there's sort of like if you ever going to boil it down to one this is this sort of encompasses that for me. It has like that building tension and that like the world is a dangerous and broken place and future dystopia. You know, I, I, mm. I it's all encompassed in this. And I'm really excited about the new characters that we're meeting. Per Callahan seems awesome. Tian, bad first impression, great second impression. <laughs> so yeah, I'm super into this. I cannot wait to see where it goes. I'm I'm delighted at how much I've forgotten. And um, all right, okay. So for those of you who are playing along with us, uh, we are going to be covering chapter one, the face of the water, the face on the water, uh, in the next episode. So listen to that, read it a couple of times, get ready to delve in. I'm super super excited. Okay, so Stephen King Universe Connections, obviously the biggest one is that this connects to uh, Salem's Lot. And also the one that we learned about with the the Apopanax connecting to the Black House. So I was going to talk about Jerusalem's Lot, but I think let's save it. Let's get a little further and see if it's in text, because I don't want to spoil future text potentially. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as far as news, nothing to report on that front. So I think we can get right into our listener feedback and Facebook question. 
So we did not get any letters this time, but I did post on the Facebook wall our question, which is about the vocabulary of the Dark Tower. Because I think, especially in these later books, I think we're getting more and more. We had a little bit at the beginning, it kind of fell off, and now we're back into like, we're going to just make up a bunch of words. And I was curious from from all of you, which of those words have snuck into your actual vocabulary? For me, the reason it comes up now is because that word is root. <laughs> I forgot that's where this was from, <laughs> but I refer to things being root all the time. Like I burn some toast, root. Um, Someone gets I mean, a bad facelift, ruined. <laughs> I feel like it'd be more apt to be uh, use it as like, uh, oh man, I ruined that. Yeah, I mean, however you would use ruined, it has become ruined to me. Mm. So that's that's probably the one that I like. I use the most in everyday life, and it's close enough to an actual word that nobody side eyes me for it. <laughs> Like, they're just like, oh, Rachel, she's so weird. At least they don't say I mean more than they She must be they from do. the Inland Empire where people just say runt all the time. Is that like a thing for the Inland no, Empire? No, no, no. Oh. I, <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm just randomly putting a uh, spot in California on blast about their English language. I was watching something. Oh, it was British Bake Off. And the, the, one of the girls said hella. And I was like, what? hey, that's my, our word. That's our Northern California word. Um, okay. How about you? What about you? Are there any words or phrases from the Dark Tower that have snuck into your... You know, not really. I don't think I have any Dark Tower specific references that like come to mind. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think I have any. Like, I try not to appropriate book speech unless it's comedy because, uh, you know, everything else can be offensive, but like cute comedy, especially in the sci-fi genre is safe. So... <laughs> Uh, with Stephen King, like I feel like if I pick something up, I would probably end up offending somebody at some point in the future. <laughs> it's just best to stay clear, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know that All works. Right. All right. Well, let's see what our listeners are saying because apparently they're very offensive. Let's Ooh. see. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So Christopher says, "Thank you, Sai is in my head constantly, and I throw a big, I throw big, big around at home." You say true, and I say thank you. <laughs> uh, Shelton says, thank you, sigh, and long days and pleasant nights are the two main phrases I use. Most of the people in my life know where I got those phrases. Oh, so he has like a whole crew of Dark Tower lovers. Good for him. I guess technically I had to go to Nebraska to find Is my... Is long days, pleasant nights, uh, Dark Tower? Because I mean, I use that, but I, I yeah. was fairly sure that that's pre-Dark Tower. Like that's been a thing. I don't know. Forever. I I thought that was like in a song or something. I think it's a dark towerism. Mm, okay, well you caught me then. Oh, busted. Okay, uh, I'm very happy to explain to them where I got those phrases if they're not familiar with them. See, yeah, we're like you got to evangelize the dark tower. I was so uh, my friend Justin is reading these books for the first time, and it is so much fun to listen to him like freak out about things. <laughs> Except for that, he is reading them way faster than we are. He is officially caught up to us. Now. Oh wow! Like, yeah, he started. He basically started Wolves of the Kala this week. So anyway, it's good though. If you ever have to t- go on a vacation or something, I can. I now have someone to be like, "Hey." Um, okay, so let's see here. I can't stop myself from saying, "All things serve the beam," says L. A. Ash. 
Family members know what I mean. People I work with continue to think I'm a crazy old lady. <laughs> it's whatever. Do you, boo. Uh, if they were cool, they'd know. No, things serve the bean. And Okay, y'all things serve the bean! No! <laughs> I would only be worried if you started saying that like during sexy time with your wife. <laughs> uh, Samantha says, tutor fish forever. That's, you know, I could see that. Like, if you're a tuna fish eater, you'd be like, ooh, tutor fish. Pop- I should call sandwiches popkins. Then I'd be really cool. <laughs> um, okay, Tim says, tutor fish, Aston, popkin, for your father's sake, may your days be long upon the land, the man Jesus, by the go- by all the gods you say true, I say thank you. Do we can, do we can it? That sounds Scottish to me. <laughs> right? Uh, may it do you fine. Cause a wheel and especially mayhap. You see, mayhap's a good one because you could definitely squeeze that in and people know exactly what you're talking about, but you know that you're like showing off your Dark Tower cred. But that's another one where I like, I feel like that might have been appropriated from some other pre Stephen King thing. Mayhap, should I say? (laughs) (laughs) Mayhap it is, mayhap it isn't. And he says, note, I do not say these all the time because I don't enjoy explaining to non-DT fans. Uh, Plus, something about it feels like it's one step away from putting on a fedora and calling people (laughs) m'lady. Damn. But among the selected company, it can be fun. Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely, when I'm conversing in the Dark Tower, like, in our Facebook group, I'll be like, you know, hail gunslingers, you know, but in life, probably not. That's why you gotta just, you gotta find the words that you know that they're Dark Tower references, like Runt or Mayhap or Long Days, Pleasant Nights, but sound like they're not. Because then you can squeeze them into your everyday life without people being like, huh? <laughs> awesome. Okay, thank you everybody for contributing. I do not have a question yet for the next episode because I'm drawing a blank. So I thought I would ask DJ if he has any ideas. Uh, I mean, <laughs> immediately because we were talking about uh, problematic Stephen King, I was like, you know, name the most offensive thing that Stephen King has done in any of his books. I was like, that would not go good. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not good at that one. Okay, Rachel, sorry. So I. That's okay. No worries. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to always include these in the show moving forward. But Mm -hmm. occasionally when I've had a really crazy couple, triple weeks of work uh, and I forget to do it till the last minute, sorry. What I'm going to do is go ahead and just post it in the the Facebook group. And um, yeah, sorry. (laughs) No, yeah, no, no problem at all. Awesome. So that's kind of it, unless you were sticking around for the extended episode. But you can always drop us a line at, at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z. Or you can chat with us over on the Cast of Caw Facebook group. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You can find us also on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcasts. Would love for you to give us a follow and chat with us there. And if you're looking for something creepy to watch tonight, it is, after all, spooky season. You should head over to the Zombie Girls website and check out our video on demand and streaming calendars where we keep track of all the spooky and spooky adjacent things that are on digital as well as streaming services. And if you want to get some cool new gear, floss out, 
impress the ladies or the gents, head over to our merch store at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch for all of your cast of cock goodies. Um, and if you love us and you want to support us, you can do so by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls. This month at the $1 level, you can join our Discord. You know, there is just like, there is some cast of call talk on there, but there is not enough. I would like <laughs> more. And I feel like if y'all hop on at that $1 level or above, I mean, like, you don't have to do it at $1. But you can get in there. You can, we can talk all things Midworld. It'll be very, very fun and exciting. All right, DJ, where else can they find you on the internet if they just need more DJ? There's not a lot of me on the internet these days. Um, I keep my social media to myself. But uh, if you want to swing over to deadlander.com, you can check out the podcast there. Uh, once the longest running horror themed podcast on the internet. Now, <laughs> kind of a topical fun time. Um, otherwise, I don't actually uh, post many of my builds. Rachel sees them behind the scenes, and I am yeah. constantly building stuff. So yeah, if you another sw- reason to join the Discord. You get to see all those goodies. Yeah, if you swing into the Discord, uh, you'll see tons of house remodeling and crazy other random things that I have assigned myself as tasks to build and remodel. I have a request, fix. DJ. You posted this amazing video of your backyard on Facebook, but did not fit paste, post it on the Discord. And it's so cool. You gotta post it. Oh, that's my front yard, actually. Oh, sorry, your front yard. Correct. Your front, your amazing front yard that you've turned into like a total outdoor oasis. Like I thought, <laughs> I was flossing out, and then I saw yours, and I was like, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> that represents like three to six months worth of building. And it and looks like it. It looks. I love the like windbreak thing. I was like, oh, I want one of those. I know. I'm still not done. Um, on the corner. Well. well We'll, we'll save this we'll for the Discord, it, yeah, guys. Yeah, you want to yeah. see some pictures or find out more about what crazy things I've been turning pergolas into, swing over to the Patreon and only chip in a dollar and you can find out more. <laughs> I mean, God, the value, the value of that dollar. Amazing. All right, cool. <laughs> so where can you find me on the internet? You can find me on Zombie Girls Horror Podcast, where we review horror films from a feminist perspective. You can find me on the Stream Queens, where we... We review horror films that are on various streaming services on the internets. You can find me on me on More Deadly, where we review horror films specifically directed by women. If you don't like horror, but you do like movies, you can also find me on the Untitled Nick Cage Show, where we are reviewing Nick Cage's amazing oeuvre of films. We are starting at the very beginning. We cheated a little bit and watched a recent one, um, Prisoners of the Ghostland, because, again, spooky season. But next time we're we're back on track, back 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 in the eighties at the very beginning of his career. It's a lot of fun, so hopefully you'll check that out. And uh, occasionally you'll hear me on "Here's Johnny" or "Bloody Good War." All right, DJ, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Thanks for listening to another exciting episode of the Casica Podcast, where I'm the opposite of a room boy. I have hair all over my body and <laughs> on my head. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody for listening and to my co-host dj for making me laugh and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies production on this episode was done by yours truly our theme song for the show was created by dj you are a madman <laughs> never change you are perfect just the way you are
I was like the rune thing was like it's been haunting me with the like tell me which one of your kids has hair anywhere but on their head. Oh my god, those sons of bitches! <laughs> what I wouldn't give to have hair on my head. <laughs> You're so funny. Okay, so okay, all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. We're gonna get to dun, hear dun, all dun. about DJ's adventures on the East Coast because. I haven't talked to you in a month, and I need to know all the dates. Tell me about, <laughs> and also because I'm like stuck in quarantine, I I have to live vicariously through your adventures. So tell me about your trip. Well, let's uh, let's start off with that uh, teaser that I left um, oh, yeah. at the beginning. So yeah, 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 yeah. murder in New York. Uh, there's there's actually what my wife and I suspect is like a possible serial killer in our neck of the woods in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, So in Washington, there's basically a rule that if you run someone over on the highway, if they're walking on the highway and you hit them, as long as you Mm -hmm. stop, call it in, report it and stay there until the police arrive. um, It's a no fault. So, yeah. So there's a guy that we've seen um, over the past, like six years that has, has, been in the paper multiple times hitting people on the interstate in Washington. What? And like, it's just, you know, no fault. Like, uh, uh, someone was walking on the street, got hit by this guy again. What? And, and so then that led me to like, um, think about New York while I was there. And New York has some interesting traffic laws. The way it's spelled out is, um, the driver that hits someone because New York's such a crowded s- space is only at fault if they know that they hit someone. So even if it's a hit and run, if the driver claims that they didn't, you know, what realize that they hit somebody and then like when they get home, find blood on their car and report it, then there is not much to do about anything and it is just chalked up to like well you know maybe you shouldn't have been jaywalking <laughs> that's wild and i so wonder if, why they would make the law that way uh, it's it was part of the um the original takeover of cars on the road versus people on the road mm. uh, and if you want to read more about this swing over to the discord and check out the post i put in the general that is um how New York traffic laws left hit and run killer drivers getting away scot free. Wow. Yeah, I saw the link. I haven't obviously haven't had a chance to look at it, but that is that's crazy to me that that I that law has never been changed. Yeah, so if you uh if you're gonna try and pull like a durst and, oh my God. and <laughs> murder durst. some people, maybe you just get them free tickets to New York first and then like you do it the right way. <laughs> <laughs> 